love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God, who gives life to everything, and of Christ Jesus, who, while testifying before Pontius Pilate, made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in, in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see. To him be honor and might forever. Amen. Let's pray. Our God and loving Heavenly Father, we want to thank you, Lord, for this wonderful time that you've given us to come into your presence. We want to thank you, Lord, for enabling us to gather in this place. A lot of many people out there in this world may have not had this opportunity, but you've given us this time and this place to gather and to remember all that you've done for us on the cross. And Lord, as we sat in your presence, we were reminded of the death on the cross. The Lord, it wasn't a simple death, but it, Lord, but Lord, it was a cruel and painful death. And Lord, the only reason that, uh, that made you stay on that cross is your unconditional, unfathomable love for us, Lord. And Lord, we want to thank you so much, Lord, for the death that you died on the cross. And Lord, it is because of your death and the blood that you shed, Lord, we are redeemed from eternal damnation. And Lord, it is because of that death on the cross that we are able to come into your presence and to be able to call you our Father. And we want to thank you so much for that. And Lord, as, as we continue to sit in your presence, we pray, Lord, that you would help us to sit here with a heart of worship, adoration, and praise. And Lord, we submit our dear speaker, George Chan, as he's going to speak from your word. We pray, O Lord, that you would give him all the grace and the strength that he needs. And Lord, we pray that as he speaks, let it not be him speaking, but let it be you speaking through him. And Lord, we pray that you would open up our hearts and minds to hear what he has to say. And Lord, we pray that we would use it in our lives and we would be blessed and edified as we leave this place. We give you all the glory and honor. In Jesus' most precious name we pray. Amen. Morning. So our topic today is, um, as you might have gathered from the reading, it's godliness and contentment. Godliness and contentment. And we're going to look at that through uh, this passage that was read here. And thank you, Ronnie, for reading the passage. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Now, uh, 1 Timothy is, of course, the epistle that, uh, that Paul has written to his uh, spiritual uh, son. Uh, he calls him my son in the faith, uh, <clears throat> Timothy, who, was, um, who had uh, been saved and traveled with Paul and been mentored by Paul. And uh, they had a long relationship. And then uh, Paul would go to a particular place as part of his ministry, uh, his uh, missionary journeys, and he would plant a church. And very often he would leave Timothy there. And, uh, you know, at the time of this writing, Timothy uh, was the elder of the church at Ephesus. And uh, just for a little bit of background, Paul is writing this letter to Timothy to help him to uh, deal with various issues and problems that were prevalent in the church uh, at Ephesus. 
and uh, they had many problems, problems of false doctrine, problems of uh, disorder in, in their worship, uh, problems in terms of the role of men and women uh, in the church and um, uh, leaders who were not, unqual- who were not qualified uh, and, and so on and so forth. And, and Paul is giving Timothy this advice and, uh, and, and you can see uh, in the first uh, few chapters he gives uh, all kinds of advice on various topics, you know, everything from the apostasy, the qualification of elders and, and deacons and then, um, you know, he moves on to, to, to talk about uh, how do you take care of widows, you know, how do you manage things in the church, he talks about taking care of elders, he talks about uh, how uh, we should, uh, bond servants should uh, deal with their masters and then he comes to this passage and he says if anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ into the doctrine uh, which accords with godliness, he is proud and knows nothing. So the context of this passage is Paul is condemning false teachers, people who uh, who have uh, various motives in in terms of their uh, why they are in the church, in terms of what they are trying to accomplish, in terms of what their their goals are, uh, and he says, "Beware of these people." And he says to him, um, uh, you know, uh, at the end of verse five, he says, to "Timothy, from such people, withdraw yourself." So the motivation of these people, uh, they had they had a certain godliness that they promoted, or or, or perhaps they projected uh, to those around them. But when you look at what they were actually doing, uh, you know, it, it says in, in verse 3 that they taught other, otherwise, they taught a different doctrine. <clears throat> it says in uh, verse uh, 3 again that uh, they did not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. Their doctrines were, were wrong. Uh, it says that they did not agree with the doctrine which accords with godliness. It says that they were proud in verse 4, knowing nothing. They were puffed up with spiritual pride. Um, in reality, they did not know what the true doctrines were, what the true word of God was. And then in verse 4, it says that they caused quarrels, envy, strife, reviling, evil suspicions. And he called them uh, men of corrupt minds, verse 5, and uh, destitute of the truth. And what was their motivation in verse um, Five, it says, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. So their motive was to get something out of it, was to, was to get something that, that was gained. They thought that this godliness itself, uh, projecting this godliness, uh, doing certain things and acting in certain ways was a way for them to gain something. And then later on, uh, from verse 6 onwards, we get the idea that perhaps what they had in mind was... Um, was uh, was material gain, you know, uh, financial gain, uh, trying to uh, trying to make money uh, off of the gospel and and the teaching of the word and and so on. And so Paul uh, then he proceeds to describe to Timothy with this background and with this context. He proceeds to describe to him what true godliness is. Um, and uh, we'll just look at that and then come back to this this point of godliness. But he says in verse six. Now godliness with contentment is great gain. So he says that, um, you know, that, that we need to have a goal in our life. And that goal is twofold. It is godliness with contentment. Godliness with contentment. Uh, now what is godliness? Now godliness, when we look at the word itself, 
um, you know, you, a lot of things come into our mind. We talked about talk about somebody is a godly person, uh, and and what we mean by that is what we can observe on the outside, what we see of their life. Uh, there is a certain piety. There is a a certain holiness. There is a spirit of reverence towards God that we see in their life. It, it means a supreme regard for God. It means obedience. Somebody who is living in obedience to God's commands. Uh, it means someone who is submitting to God's dealings in their life. And God has given us everything we need to attain godliness. And look at that in a second year. But as we go through this, I just want us to think about, uh, you know, we all have our idea of godliness, right? We all know what uh, what can appear to be godly to those around us. And, and very often, you know, we become very good at building a veneer of godliness around ourselves. And just like uh, like these uh, false teachers here who who uh, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain so godliness to them was an was a means to another end right they weren't trying to be godly to please god they weren't trying to be godly because they really had a desire for godliness but they were using that as a means to get to something else right and i want us to think about this in our own lives um, you know what are we really trying to achieve with our own lives. You know, we all, many of us, we have grown up in certain environments. We've been brought up a certain way. Uh, you know, we have been in the church for, uh, you know, all our lives, literally. We know, uh, we know all the things that it takes to appear to be godly. You know, as long as you do this, this, and this, and you check all the boxes, and, uh, you know, you get baptized at the right time, and you're saved, and you get baptized, and, and you come to church and all that, you know, people will assume that you are godly. And very often we are looking for this. We are looking for, you know, our activity in the church and our involvement in the church as merely a means to gain something, right? Sometimes it is to gain acceptance. Sometimes it is, um, you know, to gain other things, things that benefits that come because we are part of this community. Uh, whether we like it or not, this is where we are. This is where we've, we've been born into. This is where we've grown up. Uh, you know, those of us who, who, who have second, third, fourth generation believers, right? And so, you know, very often we get this idea that we have to do these things so that we, are con- we continue to be accepted, so that, uh, you know, maybe if you're a young man, so that you can get a wife um, or, uh, um, you know, whatever else might be the thing, right? Um, and, and very often we, we make decisions. Uh, our real objective in life is something very different, right? It's not... We do not take this idea of godliness as, as a goal in and of itself. It's not our deep desire to be godly because we are the children of God, because we want to please God, but rather we pursue a form of godliness like these false teachers did. They pursued a form of godliness because they expected to get something else out of it. So I want us to keep this in mind as we go through it and ask ourselves, you know, are we pursuing true godliness in our life? Are we really desiring to be godly simply for the sake of being godly? Not because we are, uh, we are trying to be godly for the purpose of something else that we may get out of it. Some selfish motive. And, uh, and what the Apostle Paul says here is that, is that true godliness, you know, our real goal should be godliness along with contentment. Contentment of our circumstances. And you know, God has given us everything we need to attain this true godliness. If you are a child of God, if we come to uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, we see here that uh, 
that uh, the apostle peter tells us that we have we have been given everything we need okay at the time that we are saved chapter 1 and verse 3 let's uh, go to verse start from verse 2 grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of god and of, our, of and of jesus our lord verse 3 as his divine power okay god's divine power has given to us to who to all believers to whoever peter was writing to he has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue by which we have been given uh, have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust and what he's saying here is that you know he's he's uh, he's contrasting godliness uh, life and godliness with um, you know with the corruption that is in the world through lust so clearly godliness means uh, you know if you were to if you were to uh, find an opposite for that you know the opposite for godliness would be worldliness would be going after the the lust of the world right and he says here that that we have been given by the power of god everything he has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness he's given us all things that we need in order to live a truly godly life uh, how through the knowledge of him who called us by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature we can be partakers of the holy nature of god and therefore have this godliness in our life and by doing this we can escape the corruption right and then uh, when we go further down in that passage in second uh, peter it says but also for this reason giving all diligence okay and he gives us this list here laundry list of of uh, virtues that we have to add qualities that we have to add to ourselves to our lives and he says add to your faith virtue to virtue knowledge to knowledge self control to uh, self control perseverance to perseverance godliness to godliness brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness love so he gives a set of things that we have to develop as christians that as we mature as christians these things should become characteristic of our life and it's very instructive to just look at this and especially to pay attention to the sequencing of these uh, uh, of these items here by uh, by the apostle peter so he says that add to your faith so we start with our faith that's the starting point we all come to faith in the lord jesus christ we trust in his finished work we become believers in christ and so we have this faith but he says it's not good enough to stop at that faith it's not good enough to to just be satisfied with that right and it's very sad that many believers they come to faith through some circumstance and then they remain at that level they do not grow from that point you know years and years go by and they remain very immature in their walk but the apostle says that for this very reason you know because god has his divine power has given you all the things that pertain to life and godliness because you may be partakers of the divine nature therefore i want you to escape the corruption of the world and and for this reason i want you to give all diligence okay, it requires us to give diligence this needs to be a priority in our life we must diligently pursue this as a goal and what should we do add to your faith virtue okay now virtue is a uh, is a it goes back to a greek term uh, which um, which speaks of moral excellency it speaks of a practical 
you know, doing certain things that are of 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 of, of noble uh, of a noble nature, right? Uh, uh, something things that stand out in excellence. So it's talking here about doing. So he says, you know, it's not enough to have faith, right? Faith is something internal. Faith is is tied to belief, but that faith should then result in action. It should result in outward evidences in our life, virtuous actions. But then it's not enough to just keep doing. Very often, you know, you might get saved and because you're saved, you join the church and you look around and see what everybody's doing. So you start doing a lot of good things. That's, that's good. That's, that's a, a, a step uh, in, in your progression. But we can't stop there. Add to your faith virtue. To virtue, what do you add? You add knowledge. Right? It's not enough to just do good things. It's also knowledge is critical. And knowledge of what? Knowledge of the word of God. Knowledge of the doctrines. Knowledge gives you that foundation. Without knowing why you are doing certain things, you don't have that foundation. You don't know how to deal with situations that come up, situations that, that you're not used to, that you've never seen before. You know, how do you deal with various issues and problems that come into your life? You can't do that unless you haven't built on your faith and on your virtue. You haven't built on top of that knowledge and understanding and that is why it is so important uh, for us as believers uh, especially young believers well all believers to study to study the word of God you know it is so sad that that we spend so little time studying the word of God you know especially young people you have so many years ahead of you you know you have a, a sharp mind you need to use that time to study and build up your knowledge of the word of God because when you do that then when you face various issues, when you face important decisions in life, when you face struggles and, and, and troubles and trials and tribulations, then you will be better prepared to deal with them. So you have to build up on this. You have to build, add to your faith, virtue, to your virtue, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control. What does that mean? He's talking here about controlling ourselves, controlling our flesh. You know, as you get knowledge, then you understand that certain things are wrong. You understand that certain behaviors are wrong. You understand that engaging in certain things is sin. The word of God reveals that to you. And if you are not reading the word of God, you are not building up this knowledge, then you don't even know uh, what is sin and what is not sin. Um, But when you understand that, then you need to develop self-control. And we'll talk a little bit more about that later, but but self-control is so important. We have to control uh, our, our sinful inclinations. And then... It's not enough to just have self-control, but we must persevere. You see, because as, uh, as, as human beings, as, as those who are still in this body of sin, you know, as we struggle against self-control, as we struggle to control ourselves, we will fall. We will have problems and we will be discouraged. And so he says, you must persevere. You must add to self-control perseverance. And then it comes from perseverance to godness. So when, you know, your faith is... To, to your faith, you've added the, the good works. To those, you've added your knowledge of the word of God. Um, and to those, you've, uh, you, you've, you're able to control yourself, your fleshly desires. And you're able to persevere in this, in this walk, uh, the Christian walk. Then it says add godliness. So godliness is, is an outcome of that. You know, It's not the godliness that he's talking about, that the Apostle Paul is talking to Timothy about, is not some veneer, it's not some facade. Right? It's not something that, that, that we can just fake, okay? although we may try to do that. But it is the godliness that is an, uh, an automatic uh, outcome, an outpouring that comes when we are doing all of these things, when we are studying the word of God, when we are living according to it, when we are persevering in it, when we are 
controlling our fleshly desires, then it comes to godliness. And then he says to godliness, brotherly kindness. Brotherly kindness. So this is not to say that we got to wait till that point to have brotherly kindness, but he's saying that when you are godly, you will have that special kind of kindness. And then notice the, the ultimate thing here is love. And, uh, you know, we think love is something very easy. You know, love is an emotion, right? It's not an emotion. The love he's talking here about is sacrificial love. And if we are honest with ourselves, you know, I, I got to tell you, we, I don't know how many of us, there would be probably hardly any who can truly honestly say that we love our brother or we love our sister to the point of death, okay, to the point of dying for them. Uh, that is the agape, self-sacrificial love, you know, because we get irritated with each other, you know, we, we do certain things, we don't get responses, we don't see the results that we want to see, and we get frustrated with that, but, you know, this is the love that is described in First Corinthians 13, it's patient, it's kind, it, it, it bears with, with, with um, insults, you know, it, it puts up with all of these things, because it is a sacrificial love that thinks never of itself, but only of the other, alright, so this is the progression that he's talking about, to your faith, virtue to virtue, Knowledge to knowledge, self-control to self-control, perseverance to perseverance, godliness and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and finally to brotherly kindness, love. And that is the progression that we should be seeing in our lives as, uh, as Christians. So godliness is something that God desires of us. If we go to Titus chapter 2, uh, Titus 2 and, and 11... Titus 2 and, uh, and 11 says, uh, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Okay, so the grace of God that, that, that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. So this is what the grace of God that appeared to all men is teaching us, that we should deny Ungodliness. So it gives us here a sense of, of what, is the, what is godliness because of the definition of the opposite here. So when he talks about ungodliness, he says worldly lust, right? We should, uh, uh, denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So un, uh, godliness is, is the opposite of of worldliness, right? That's what, that is what God desires. It's, it's something that he desires of our lives. Even as we are living in this world of sin, uh, we are to live uh, godly in the present age. And that is what God desires of us. But he says here that this godliness is of a particular kind. And that is that it should be godliness that's associated with contentment. And that means contentment in our circumstances. I think we all understand what contentment is. It's a, it's a necessary condition. It goes hand in hand with true godliness. So godliness without contentment is not really godliness. It's actually just a facade around uh, our true worldly condition. And it's, it, these two are inextricably linked. Uh, and uh, contentment means sufficiency. It means a perfect condition in, uh, of life in which we do not need any aid uh, or support. It means a mind that is contented with everything. If we go to Philippians chapter 4 and verse 11, okay, Philippians 4 and 11, we see the Apostle Paul talks about contentment. He says, Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in 
whatever state I am to be content. I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. So it doesn't matter what my outward circumstances are. I have learned to be content. And then uh, coming back to 1 Timothy 6, he talks about uh, the reason for contentment. Why should we be content? Okay, And he's talking here primarily about, about financial needs and physical needs. But this can apply in any circumstance, right? We have to be content with what we are. Very often, you know, our godliness, our faith in God is dependent on what God is doing for us. We are looking for, for God to, uh, to, uh, to be a benevolent, uh, uh, you know, benevolent uh, father figure, right? He should be giving us favors all the time. And the moment things don't work out or we, we pray and we don't get the answer that we want or, um, you know, we are going through some problem and it doesn't go away, uh, then we get very frustrated, right? We're not content anymore. We are unhappy. We're looking for this. We're looking for a change. We're looking for different circumstances. And he's speaking here against that kind of thinking. He's saying that's not really true godliness, right? If you are having true godliness in your life, you will be content with your circumstance. And he tells us why. He says, for we brought nothing into this world and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Now, this is a very uh, universal principle, right? We... We don't bring anything into the world and we don't take anything out uh, with it. You know, somebody once said <clears throat> that he has never seen a hearse uh, pulling a U-Haul. Okay? Uh, so if you know American culture, the U-Haul is the thing that we rent to carry our possessions around. You know, so he's never seen a hearse with a coffin carrying a U-Haul behind it, carrying his possessions along with him. Right? Whatever, you know, we come into the world naked, and without anything, and we are, that's exactly how we're going to leave the world, right? We're going to leave all of our earthly possessions goes to somebody else, uh, you know, to, uh, to, to own and enjoy. Um, earthly possessions have no lasting value. They have no eternal value. They are fleeting. Therefore, our contentment shouldn't be based on what we have uh, in, the earth, in the amount of our earthly possessions. And very often, this discontentment that he's talking about here is caused by the fact that we are not satisfied. We want more. We have a desire for more and more, whether it might be, you know, we may think we don't, but in reality we do. You know, when you are living in a certain circumstance and you want to, you, you want to uh, upgrade yourself, you know, you want to uh, move up your lifestyle, you know, increase your lifestyle. And sometimes that pushes us to do, seek after all kinds of things. Maybe it's going abroad, you know, go to wherever, the, the United States or Australia or wherever, some other country in the world, because we think that will help us to improve uh, our, our situation, make us better off materially, right? We don't have to struggle as much. Again, that all comes out of discontentment, right? I'm not saying it's wrong to go to other places, but we have to always look at what is our motivation, you know? If we are truly godly, we will not be motivated by those things. We will be seeking God's will and how we make those decisions. Is that something the Lord wants me to do? What does it mean for my spiritual life? That should be the first thing. You know, when we talk about education and what should I go and study? You know, how many of us, you know, we make that decision purely based on, uh, you know, the course of study that's going to get us uh, uh, a good income or a good job or, or settle down in life and not have to worry about anything, right? And we're always worried, oh, will there be a job when I come out, right? How often do we sit down and think, you know what, uh, what does the Lord want me to do? What is my ministry that God has for me? How is this education going to help me to advance that purpose? Right? What is our true purpose in life? And we'll talk about that uh, a little later. Uh, but you know, what is 
important is whether we fear the Lord or not, right? Let's just read uh, Proverbs 15, uh, Proverbs chapter 15 and verse uh, 16. Uh, there's a lot of verses we could look at here in this matter of not being worldly in terms of materialism, but uh, Proverbs 15 and 16 says, Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure with trouble. You know, you look at people who, uh, who have a lot of money and, and all the troubles. We think that they would have a happy life and all that, but that's not the reality, right? Um, you know, God has promised to never leave us or forsake us, and therefore we should be content with what we have, never doubting that he will provide, right? And he says, coming back to 1 Timothy 6, For we brought nothing into the world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Verse 8, And having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. Okay, so what is Paul saying here to Timothy? He's saying that here are the minimum requirements for contentment. All right, for a, for a Christian, for a believer. What is it? You have food and you have clothing, right? You can expand that clothing, shelter, right? You have a covering over your head. Um, you have something to wear and you're being fed. You are receiving food. Uh, you know, not food, um, you know, means having a feast every day, but you have enough food to keep you physically going, Right? So these are the things, the sustenance, the raiment or covering, uh, basic necessities of life. If these are met, then we have no reason for discontentment. So we should have no reason to be unhappy with our life as long as we are receiving food and we have a place to stay. Okay? Uh, Very, very basic uh, requirements of life. We should not compare our riches to those of the unrighteous. We should not even compare our riches, our, our wealth to the other believers. You know, other believers may have uh, different, uh, you know, more wealth than us, more material things. That's not our business, right? That's between them and God, right? We shouldn't desire that any more than the basic requirements. But yet, when we look at our lives, you know, we find that this is an area where many of us fail. You know, whether we want to admit it or not, deep down we always want more, right? We want that better house. We want the better car. We want better lifestyle. We want more money. Um, you know, our entire lives are geared towards worldly and material success. So the education that we seek, uh, the motivation for all our decisions, even, even decisions like whom we get married to, we want to make sure that that's somebody who can earn an income so that we can better ourselves, right? Uh, we fail to consider what God might want us to. And then we try to cover all this up with this veneer of godliness, right? Spirituality, you know, and that spirituality is all about doing certain things. It's about coming to church. It's about pleasing other people. It's about, um, you know, doing works. At the same time, internally, we are, we are seething with discontentment. We are seeking after something. We are getting frustrated at God that he's not giving us what we want. And we are making these decisions without, without really uh, thinking through what does the Lord really want. Without really thinking through what direction is my life going. Without really thinking through am I really fulfilling the desire that God has for my life. Uh, what is your state today? Are you content with the state that you're in? Or are you seeking more? Right? This is, this is what, where we need to evaluate. You know, is our godliness real? Or is it just sort of a fake godliness? Just built because we live in this culture, because we have to please other people, because we have to make sure that everybody sees us as, as checking the box on all these spiritual things. Or is it really uh, paired up with true contentment for what we have today? And we're not seeking after more. We need to acknowledge that that everything we have in our life belongs to the Lord. We need to have a thankful heart. In everything, give thanks. 
right? That's what the Lord says, that be thankful, if you be filled with the Spirit, singing to yourself in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, giving thanks in all things to the Lord. You know, uh, give, how do we give sacrificially to the Lord? If the Lord blesses us with, with more uh, you know, material wealth, with more money, we ought to be giving that away to the Lord as opposed to using it for our own pleasure. And then the Apostle Paul, having talked about godliness and contentment and explained that this is the goal and why it should be the goal, he then gives a contrast and that contrast is the goal uh, to be materially rich. And he says in verse 9, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. Now, we may say, Oh, I'm not really desiring to be rich. But we have to peel back and ask ourselves, you know, is that really true? You know, why do I have this discontent? Why do I want to, um, you know, why do I want to leave this job and go to another job that earns more? Uh, you know, I'm not saying don't ever do that, but, but again, you know, very often we want, we just want more. We want more. Maybe we want to move to another country so that we can earn more. Uh, and he says here that the goal of people who are not godly is that they want to be rich in material things, right? The desire to be rich, verse 9, um, verse 9 says, those who desire to be rich, and he gives the, uh, you know, these are people who, who love money, who have a, a love of money, and, and what are the results of this? He says again in, in verse uh, 10, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It's not money that's the root, but it's the love of money, right? And you don't have to be a rich person to love money. Sometimes the people who love money, the more are, are very poor people. Right? It comes down to how much is your life driven by a desire to accumulate more and more, to get more and more money, to get more and more possessions. And this is a very common goal among, among worldly people. You know, this is the normal thing. Right? You look at, you look at uh, the people around you, their conversations, their decisions, their, everything is around you know, getting more. Right? Even in our country here, they even have a, a, a goddess that they worship right? to, to get more money. Right to bless them. That's what they're looking for. Their whole life's aim is around that. Okay, and uh, and uh, uh, but very often, what is really sad, we're not talking about the people out there today. We're talking about ourselves. We're talking about people who are believers in the church. While this may be a very common goal among worldly-minded people, unfortunately, it's true of many Christians. You know, somebody once uh, said uh, a joke. He said, "The brethren people have two idols." Okay, one is Saraswati and the other is Lakshmi. Um, you, can, you can translate that, right? One is education and the other one is money. All right? we, we make idols in our life of these things, uh, whether we want to admit it or not. Right? That's what we see. We just don't go and bow down in front of the idol. Okay? But in reality, or every decision we make uh, you know, is around that. That's really what we are seeking after. Right? We're always wanting more. We're going after it. We're not even considering where, where am I spiritually? You know, am I really living a godly life? Am I adding to my faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and to knowledge self-control? You know, that's what I should be focused on, not on these other things. The love of money is the root of all evil. And he gives us some of the pitfalls of this in verse 9 and 10. He says um, that uh, those who desire to be rich, number one, they fall to temptation and snares. People with desire for more continually fall into temptations and are ensnared by sin. Satan is easily able to trap you. You know, you fall in for these easy money schemes and you start even uh, bending corners and cutting corners. Uh, I mean, I know so many believers, especially when it comes to 
dealing with property, you know, who, who, who illegally do not show what they are paying for things so that they can save money on taxes. And, and this is so rampant among us because we desire to be rich, you know. We want to hold on to what we have. Uh, and then it says in verse 9 again uh, that um, they fall into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. So they, f- they, they, have, uh, they fall into temptation and snares. They fall into foolish and harmful lusts. They're controlled by their foolish desires, burning desires for, for self-fulfillment and more money. And then they drown in destruction and perdition. And then it gets even worse. Verse 10, it says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness, and they have pierced themselves through with many sorrows. So they have... They have suffered with many sorrows because they have strayed from the faith. You know, we don't, sometimes we don't even understand that this is happening to us. You know, we think we are godly because we are doing all the right things, because we are associating with all the right people. But our lack of contentment is driving us away from the faith, from the core of the faith, from true faith in God. And so Paul here presents that contrast. You know, he says, go after godliness with contentment. And then he says, you know, what, what you must do. Uh, what is the means of attaining this godliness with, con- with uh, contentment? And he gives some specific instructions to Timothy. So we'll just quickly look at these uh, and, and finish up here. Uh, first of all, he says that there are things that you need to flee from. Okay, things that you need to flee from. Verse 11, O man of God, flee these things and pursue. Uh, well, let's stop there. He says, flee these things. Okay, so uh, to flee means to run away. To run away as fast as you can. To get away from them. Right? Uh, to seek safety. To shun or avoid uh, by flight something that's aberrant. To escape safely and escape the danger. So what should we flee from? We should flee from the love of money. We should flee from worldliness. That's in this context. But you know, if you look at other passages, the Apostle Paul uses this, this notion of fleeing in different contexts. In 1 Corinthians 6.18 uh, I won't turn there, but it says flee sexual immorality. 1 Corinthians 10, 14. Flee from idolatry. We just talked about idols that we have in our life. 2 Timothy 2, 22. Flee also youthful lust. Right? So generally it's associated with sin. It's associated with immorality and idolatry and, and lust. Uh, we have to flee from this. This is the injunction that scripture gives us that, you know, you have to run away from these things. You're not to... Uh, go towards them. You are not to seek after them, but you are to run away from them. You are to change your thinking completely. But then it's not enough to just run away. right? You have to run towards something. And that's why he says, O man of God, flee these things. And number two, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. You have to pursue something. You know, very often we, we uh, many, many of us, you know, struggle with certain sins. Maybe sins of immorality. Maybe uh, whatever sins they might be. And, and we, we try to, you know, rather than flee, we try to dabble around the corners. We try to push the limits, right? We try to be around those things. We still stay around those things and then wonder why we're getting trapped, all right? But it's not enough to just turn away from those things. You have to turn to something, right? And that's just a normal principle of life. You know, if you want to stop doing something, you have to start doing something else. And he tells us here what... We should. And so present continuous tense uh, means that we have to continuously pursue after these things. Right? And it says here, what are you to pursue after? And we understand all of these things. These are the fruit of the Spirit. Right? You have to pursue after righteousness. Now this is not 
talking about the positional righteousness we have in Christ. We don't need to pursue after that. We have, we are righteous in the sight of God in Christ Jesus. But he's talking here about practical righteousness that comes from obedience to the word of God. Our life should be characterized by obedience to the word of God. That righteousness, instruction. And how do you get righteousness? Second Timothy 3.16 All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness by studying and applying the word of God in our lives. And if you are not studying the word of God, you are not pursuing these things. Right? You cannot pursue these things. Because the word of God, it corrects you, it works on you, it sees you as you are, it reveals your true nature, your sin in your life so that you can confess and repent and turn from it. So we have to flee those things and we have to pursue after these things, righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness, meekness. And, 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 and it's only when we do both uh, that we find that we are able to, um, you know, we are able to uh, shed those sins in our life, those, those, those wrong things in our life, that we are able to become more contented when we seek after God. And when you seek after God, you get to understand Him more. It says, um, you know, in, in James it says, uh, uh, come close to God and He will come close to you. You know, very often we feel God is far, but it's not because God has gone further from us, it's because we have moved further away from God. And then he says you have to follow these things, right? You have to flee from certain things. You have to follow after certain things. Thirdly, you have to fight. You have to fight for certain things. And what is that? He says, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called. And have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. We have to fight the good fight. The good fight of faith. You know, we are in a battle. You know, do we think we are in a battle? Or are we so comfortable in the world that, that doesn't even bother us? We don't even realize that we are in a battle. We are in a battle against sin. We are in a battle against the world. We are in a battle against Satan who is trying to draw us away from God and towards the world. Who is tempting us with all of these worldly things daily and he's making us discontented. Where discontentment comes from Satan. We are to fight our good fight of faith. You know, sometimes I wonder how many of us really know uh, not, not even if we are fighting, but what are we fighting for? What is our fight? You know, every one of us has a personal good fight. You know, Paul, at the end of his life, he could say, uh, you know, I have fought the fight. I have finished the race. You know, what is the race that you are running? What is the race that I am running? God has given each of us a personal good fight. Uh, and this involves fulfilling his life purpose for you and me. Do you understand what is your life purpose? For some, it might be going out and uh, you know, doing missionary work for others, uh, it might be investing in some ministry. For others, it might be investing in the life of other people. For some, it might be investing in the lives of their children. Whatever it is, God has a good fight ordained for you. And it is up to you and I to understand what is that good fight and we need to fight it. We need to set, as Colossians 3 2 says, set your affection on things above and not on things on the earth. And then he says, you are to lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. You know, we had to submit to God. We had to have that commitment. We had to uh, be prepared by studying the word of God. We had to apply the word of God in our life and we had to discipline ourselves to live faithfully according to the directives of God's word. Are you fighting that good faith? Do you even know what is the fight that God has ordained for you? What is it that he wants you to do with your life? You know, it's not about getting a job and becoming big in that job and, and carrying on. No, that, is not, that is not the goal 
that God has for any of us. You know, that's a means to an end. Okay? That's a way to feed ourselves. That's a way to keep going. But what is the real fight? What is the real ministry? What is the real goal that God has for you? Do you understand that? You are to fight the good fight of faith. And then you are to be faithful. Finally, in verse uh, 13, it says, I urge you in the sight of God who gives life to all things uh, before Christ Jesus, verse 14, that you keep this commandment without spot, blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ. What commandment? The commandment in the context refers to the word of God, that we are to live by the word of God. We are to be faithful to the word of God. The word of God needs to drive every decision that we make. All of us are called to live a life of true godliness. You know, let's examine ourselves to see, you know, do we have true godliness or is it a false godliness? Is it godliness that is accompanied by contentment? And how do you determine whether your godliness is true or not? Ask yourself, am I content with where I am in life? Am I content with the circumstances that I have today? Am I completely yielding to God and his will in my life? We are to pursue, uh, we are not to pursue material wealth contrary to pursuing righteousness, a righteous, holy, and godly life. That needs to be our number one goal, to pursue a righteous, holy, and godly life. A man of God, the woman of God, should flee from ungodly things and that do not lead to a godly life, should follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness, should fight the good fight of faith, living a life in obedience to God that is pleasing to him. And finally, the man of God, the woman of God, should be faithful to the commands of God. You know, the Lord wants us to be committed to living holy lives for him. And he has given us the principles for doing that in his word. If we commit to living by his ways, then we can have a growing and a fruitful Christian life and we can be used mightily. Of, we, can, we can truly be victorious in that fight, that fight, the good fight of faith that God has for us. May we all be able to recognize that, may we be able to examine our own selves, you know, are we content, uh, are we, uh, uh, you know, are we truly pursuing godliness, uh, are we really fleeing from the things that are pulling us back, are we really pursuing and following after the things that pertain to godliness and righteousness in our life. May God enable us to do that. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you, Lord, for this day. We want to thank you for the word and for reminding us again, Lord, of the, um, the importance, Lord, of, of, uh, of genuineness in our lives, Lord, of genuinely uh, looking at our own selves, of, of self-examination, Lord, of seeking, uh, of looking into our hearts and determining, Lord, where we stand, whether we are truly living godly life, whether we are truly pursuing godliness, and whether our lives, uh, we are living our lives content with what we have. Or rather, Father, we are being pulled in all directions by our material desires, our desires for wealth, our desire for comfort, our desire for um, the things of the world, Father. We pray that, you would, that we would each be reminded, Lord, that our citizenship is not on the earth, but it is in heaven. And pray that we may live our lives here on earth in view of eternity, Father, as, uh, as, you, instru- as you instructed Timothy through Paul here in this, in this passage, Lord. That we may truly... Do the things here, Lord, that count for eternity and not seek to only make, um, only gain, uh, get gain through material things in this life, Father. I just pray, Father, that you would speak to us and encourage us, Lord, and help us to examine our lives. We ask these things in the name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.
Okay, before the announcements, I just want uh, one.